In today's show, we're going to be talking about the Oklahoma City Thunder with the host of the Locked On Thunder podcast, Rylan Styles. Michael Bolton. Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it, indeed. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com and at Yahoo Sports Australia. And you can find me on Twitter as always at RedRock underscore Beeble and on Instagram at Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Thank you for making Locked On Fantasy Basketball your first listen every day. We are free and available on all platforms. Yes, I'm looking at the right day. Yes, it is. I'm looking at the right day. I'm trying to figure out where I am. It's August the 19th, most likely, when you listen to this, and that is Ricky Pierce's birthday. Shout out to Ricky Pierce, one-time NBA All-Star. The Thunder are a really intriguing team. There's so many blokes on this roster. That's a cut a lot of guys still. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about uh, motivations and tanking and Chet Holmgren and all of that stuff with Ryland Styles. So, Warney. Let's get it on, Gilly. <laughs> So let's uh, let's bring him in now. The host of the Locked On Thunder podcast is back again for another year. It is Ryland Styles. Ryland, welcome back. Glad to be back. Glad you're going to have me. We're going to talk Thunder. They are a really intriguing team with a bunch of young players, a bunch of roles that we're not really sure about, a lot of things we're going to try and pass through, and of course, the dreaded tanking question, which I will get to later on in the show, Ryland, but let's just go through a little bit of what has changed for this team for this coming season. In, of course, are the draft picks, Chet Holmgren, Jalen Williams times two, Usman Jeng, they got Eugene, uh, Eugene sorry, Omiruri, who was um, uh, on Dallas last season as a two-way, he's a two-way guy, and a lot of the tank commanders from last season, uh, Xavier Simpson, Jalen Horde, who fantasy managers will know because he put up some huge numbers, Isaiah Roby, um, Georges Kalitzakis, Melvin Frazier, they are all off the team at the moment. So, I think we'll just, let's just start with Lechette right here. Because, of course, he was the number two pick in the draft. He had that huge first game in Summer League. He's going to have some struggles at times. But I don't think there's any doubt, Ryland, maybe you can change my mind on this, that he's going to be bang in, straight off, opening night starter, 30, 32 minutes a night, straight away. Let's go. Yeah, and that's been Mark's track record so far. As the head coach has been his comfortability with starting rookies. I mean, he started Josh Giddy last year in every game that Josh Giddy was healthy for. And so I don't I don't envision that changing with Chet Holmgren, especially as he is in a position of need for Oklahoma City. And I think that his career will start as a day one starter on opening night against Minnesota. A great matchup for him against Rudy Gobert and Carly the Towns. But yeah, I think that the Thunder are going to give him starting minutes and the starting role right off the bat. I guess the question is, is it at the four or is it at the five? You know, is it with another legitimate big man or as as the Thunder likes to do, you know, wing forward size players masquerading as big men. I think that the the candidates to start with him are going to be narrowed down to Darius Baisley and Jeremiah Robinson. So not a traditional big man. Maybe if they keep around favors after trading camp and after the preseason, maybe he can slot in there. But I think that the Thunder's vision is truly to have Chet Holmgren play the five. Uh, and I think that that's kind of where they're going to slot him out in the future for this to work. And, and that's going to be his position this year. The only other center, actual center on this roster is Mike Muscala, who they brought back again um, for him to play half a season and then have some sort of ankle injury that that, that ends uh, ends it at some point because he's too good and he's hitting too many threes. But 
yeah, they don't have many other options. As you said, Derek, Fav- Derek Favors isn't even big anyway. He's like six foot nine. Like he's not a you know, traditionally huge center anyway. So you know, Holmgren is the tallest player in this team by a significant margin. Like, I guess Poku, but of course he's not a center. Um, while we're talking comings and goings, this team has got just too many players on the roster. There are just too many guys here. They need to cut some players who we saw play significant minutes over you know, the last two seasons. I think they've, from my count, they've probably got four guys they need to cut. Who do you think they are? Yeah, they're going to have to cut uh, at least three or, or, or trade, of course. Contracts. Yeah, they're going to have to cut at least three guaranteed contracts. They could, of course, get creative with trades. Uh, but the messaging from the Thunder so far has been about how competitive they want training camp to be and how comfortable they are cutting that long-term guaranteed money or cutting that that that, that contract money. Regardless, they're going to try to find the best 17 players, including the two two ways, and bring them into into the regular season and, and kind of uh, get this thing rolling. So they're going to be comfortable uh, eating money, and they're going to have to because they have to cut three guys that are on NBA deals. And you've you, you've got it down to probably Tail Maldon, who only is owed 1.9 million. Vit Critchy, who's owed uh, 1.5 million. Ty Jerome is an interesting candidate to be on here. He's owed 4.2, and then the big one, Derek Favors, he's owed 10.1. In my estimation, you've got to cut three of that group, and we'll see where the where the ball lands there for Sam Presti and for the Thunder. But they're going to be comfortable cutting anyone on that chopping block, no matter if it's a guy that's making ten million or just below two million. They're going to be comfortable doing it. Who they think they should invest in and take long term with them. That's the decision they're going to make through that competitiveness of training camp, through um, you know through what they see in the preseason. So it's going to be fun to get to that end point, but getting there will be an interesting pathway for the Thunder because you can really make a case for still believing in Tail Maldon if you want to, even though he was statistically one of the worst players last year in the NBA. Avid Critchy showed some nice things, and the Thunder did invest in him. I mean, they took him high in the second round, top 40, uh, whenever most everyone did not have him on their draft boards, and they invested in him to do so by trading for that pick and trading for uh, Admiral Schofield to, to get him Vid Critchy. And so they had to cut dead money in Admiral Schofield just to pick up Vid Critchy. Uh, Ty Jerome, a former first-round pick, he's kind of what I call a mythical shooter. He's had the one good shooting year, which was the year with no fans, but his first season and last season, he was not a good three-point shooter. And so we'll see what he can do now. Thunder brought in Chip England, a shot doctor, the best in the league. And then, of course, you can always make the case that the Thunder need that veteran presence of Derek Favors, but on the court, the the role for him, the spot from their rotation is very hard to find. Yeah, I think yeah, they're, they're the four that I had. I, I had it at this point as Krejci, Jerome, and Maladon getting moved just because they don't. Like Mike Muscala is the only player they've got that's 30 or over, and they've only got one other player who's over 25, and that is Kenrich Williams. So there's just everyone else is super, super young, and having favors around maybe to help Chet just in practice is maybe something you could look at. But yeah, these guys aren't going to be playing significant roles, I wouldn't have thought. And yeah, Jerome and Maladon are going to be behind you know, Trey Mann and Jalen Williams and Gideon Dort and Shea, so they're not going to be rotation players. Um, anyway, now let's talk injuries because there's a few players on this team who ended the season injured. Some might argue how severe these injuries were, but that's fine. Shea had a legitimate ankle problem, came back from that ankle, and then had to sit out at the end of the year. Josh Giddy had a hip problem about one game after the All-Star break. He never returned. And then Lou Dort had um, shoulder surgery. So people can say they're fake injuries. You don't get your arm cut open um, if it's a fake injury. Like, that's just not what happens. So is there any doubt on these guys for opening night? I I, I know there's no doubt on Josh Giddy because I've, I've seen him playing. Um, and I don't imagine there's any doubt for the other two. 
Yeah, so far so good on the injury front. Uh, Josh Giddy, like you said, has been playing in a ton of pickups this summer, plus played in summer league, so he's he's yeah. good to go. SGA has been playing for Team Canada uh, for the Olympic qualifiers, and uh, he's been looking good in that setting as well. I mean, Kelly Olynyk called him the best Canadian point guard, which obviously is his teammate, and you can look into that, but that's high praise uh, considering who else played for Team Canada. But he looked awesome this summer already, so he looks good to go as well. And then for Lou Dort, uh, he he never really makes his workouts that public uh, on Instagram and stuff, but I'm sure he's, of course, getting the work in. He's good to go. So everything the Thunder have told us is that those guys are going to be healthy, including Usman Jang, who also uh, had a chip fracture in his wrist at Summer League. He's already got that brace off, and he is uh, back shooting and, and working on his jumper. So it looks like he's good as well for training camp. So, so far, the Thunder are 100% healthy heading into training camp. Well, that's always good news. We always want to hear that the teams are healthy as they head into training camp. Ryland, I've got a question for you. Who's your NFL team, considering there is no local NFL team in uh, in Oklahoma City? I follow the Kansas City Chiefs. The Kansas City Chiefs. So, look, I'm just looking at betonline.net, which, of course, is your number one source for all your betting needs and odds and lines and games. And the Chiefs have a preseason game coming up uh, against the Washington Commanders, and they are four-point favorites, if you are so inclined to look at that, with a total set for that game of 43 points. How much Patrick Mahomes are going to get in that game, do you reckon? Uh, usually the Chiefs use that game as a dress rehearsal, so maybe even a whole half of Patrick Mahomes if you want to tune in. There you go. So there's going to be an interesting game if you are so inclined to check out the odds. They're over at Line, As I just said, every preseason game, every regular season game for the NFL is up, but you can also find Major League Baseball, NHL, uh, the NBA, combat sports, esports, and even golf. It continues to be the top online resource for all your sports wagering information. From live in-game betting, scores, and podcasts, they have you covered. Head to Online today or use your mobile device to learn more about the action that is happening today. Online is where the game starts. Let's talk about starting. Let's look at your projected starting five. And I don't think there's any debate around four of these guys, Josh Giddy, Shea Gildas-Alexander, Lou Dort, and Chad Holmgren. You've got Darius Baisley sliding in there. This is the last season of his rookie deal. He'll be a restricted free agent after that. We saw Jeremiah Robinson Earl start a bunch of games last season. Um, I guess there is the possibility that Aaron Wiggins, who played a lot at the four last season, could slide in there. Derek Favors, if they want a little bit of extra bulk, although I don't really see that happening. Um, I, I think Baisley who functionally really, Ryland, played a lot of center when he played last season anyway, is probably the, the smart option there. Yeah, I think that with Darius Baisley, it just comes down to what what you want to do if you're if you're the Thunder. He's he was an awesome shot blocker last year without fouling. Like there's there was times in last year where he had more blocks than fouls. That was an, an incredible thing to see for him as his defense progressed. Obviously, fans are going to push back because his offense has been lagging behind. But when you look at what he did last year defensively and the fact that he can guard one through five, that fits perfectly with what the Thunder want to do with this wacky lineup of guys and this this roster of guys. They want to be versatile. They want to play fast and they want to play mix. So you should see the pace increase this year with this starting five. And you should see also, of course, uh, the defense look better with the, the ability to switch at most every position on the floor. So I, I think that with Baisley, you're leaning all in defensively. If you're going to go with Darius Baisley and you're hoping that your hire of Chip England can, can turn his jump shot into a respectable jump shot on the other end of the floor. The argument for Jeremiah Robinson Earl, number one, the Thunder have already shown they're comfortable leaning on Jerry. They benched Basley last year for the first time in his career uh, in favor of Jeremiah Robinson last year and let him play a lot of games as, as the starting big man. And so you sacrifice a little bit defensively, I believe, whenever you switch from Basley to Jeremiah Robinson Earl, but you do improve a lot offensively. And so I just want to, I just wonder how that's going to play out. I think that the training camp and preseason will be a big deal in going uh, a big way in, of going in terms of figuring that out. Now, Basley has added a ton of muscle last year listed at 208. 
this year. He's listed at 220 already and says he wants to get to 225. So if he can do that, plus remain mobile and hopefully improve his jump shot with this new um, you know, developmental plan in Oklahoma City with this new shooting coach, then his career can really take a leap. And he's at that, he's at that marker where in a contract year and as a guy who has not really carved out a role for himself yet, his his NBA career is at a fork in the road. He's either going to carve out a high priority rotational piece or even a starting level piece for himself, or he's going to be looking for a flyer deal as a clutch client in the offseason, just hoping that LeBron's team can sign him and, and, and try to revamp his career. You're right. His offense is terrible. His shooting's been terrible. Um, maybe it happens. Maybe England can sort it out, but maybe he doesn't. Like Chep England, he's got a reputation. I think Fred Vinson's actually the best shooting coach in the NBA, and Chip can't fix everyone. Like Trey Jones shot 20% from three right. last season, two years working with Chip. Like it just doesn't happen for every, it happens for some people. It doesn't happen for everyone, but it's, it's better than the alternative. And we'll see where Baisley goes. Like he did, as I said, suffer a little bit last season and, and dropped off. And we saw um, Robinson Earl and Wiggins get opportunities ahead of him. I don't think either of these guys, Robinson Earl or Baisley are going to be particularly interesting from a fantasy perspective. Cause I just think there's going to be so much chopping and changing in that group. And if you look at the reserve group, for a team that does have so many interesting players, I find it hard to argue with any of this group that you've got here. Trey Mann, Jalen Williams, the good one, Aaron Wiggins, Kenrich Williams, and Jeremiah robinson Like It's very hard for me to argue with any of that group. Um, yeah, the only name that people will be looking at and looking at that and saying, well, where's Poku? Like, what, what do we, where's Alexei Pokushevsky? Where does he fit in this team? Or has the arrival of Chet sort of pushed that development of poku or the necessity of poku to develop yeah onto the back burner i think it's allowed the thunder to get more measured with their development of poku and poku last year after another reset in the g league his second half numbers post you know call up the last time he was in the g league with the blue his his numbers once again turned right around as they did his rookie year and and, and he improved in just his overall numbers uh, from year one to year two. So he's still trending upwards. It's just a slow climb the way we thought it was going to be. I mean, I remember whenever the Thunder drafted him and and you and I discussed, is he even going to come over this year uh, with OKC? So like he was never even supposed to be in this position to be in the NBA. So I wouldn't consider not having him as a top 10 guy in the rotation, a, a slight to his development, but rather just the Thunder having the freedom to ease him back in because he's a guy who's needed the G League both seasons so far. So if he does need that G League spell, you're able to give it to him in, in this kind of setup with this roster. You're not forcing him into some bad NBA minutes. He can just go to the G League or go practice. And and also, of course, we've seen with the Thunder track record that they're going to be very fluid in their rotation. And there'll, there'll be games where he gets 20 minutes and games where he gets zero minutes. So that's just kind of where I'm at with uh, with Poku. I think that the Thunder have not given up on him by any means, but the the necessity of him does become a little bit less when you have Chet Holmgren. But I think that the Thunder are far from giving up on him. Had he actually been trending downward uh, from year one to year two, then maybe this would be a different conversation. But I always thought that his biggest leap will come year two to three, especially given how weird his first and second years were in the league. He got drafted in November and played in December in actual regular season games. So like it's just it's just been a wild ride for him. I do not think that the Thunder are giving up on him, though. I think that he is still going to have a spot uh, for the Thunder this year, especially um, as the rotation gets topsy-turvy later on in the year. The, the one of the wildest things about about him for this season is just still how young he is. Like he is only a couple of months older than Chet Holmgren. He is you know, younger than the guys they drafted in Jalen Williams. Um, the other Jalen Williams, oh, he's a bit older than the other Jalen Williams, but he's not like he's not even twenty one yet. He doesn't turn twenty one till December, so he's still really really young. Is it out of the possi- realms of possibility that 
yeah, he starts next to Chet because Poku's not a center. He's like a four, maybe even a three. Look, could, we saw them start together in summer league. Would they ever go that route? I think that they would. I think that they would. They would for sure give it a try, especially you know if it's a scenario where whoever of you know whoever ends up winning that starting spot, Baisley or Jeremy Martin's Earl, whoever is winning that spot, if they get hurt, but the other is feeling more comfortable with their rotational minutes and with their workload, they might then to save their routine and to save that person's routine on the bench, they might then leap Poku into the starting lineup to save those that other guys. Um, just kind of routine of of game day rituals and things of that nature. So I think it's possible. And I think that given the track record of OKC, I would even bet if there was such a prop bet over under one game that the Thunder start Poku uh, with Chet, I'd take the over on that. Oh, yeah, it's it's going to happen at some point. Um, let's talk Jalen Williams because he was obviously... Some people would have been surprised to see him go as early as he did in the draft. He was great in summer league. He showed he's really, really long. He showed really good defensive ability. He can handle the ball a bit. He's got some offensive ability. He is a little bit older as a rookie. He's 21 already, so as I said, older than Poku. Um, But do you think, okay, do you think there's any possibility that given who he is as a player, the upside that he has as a player, the ability we've seen already, that he could actually force his way into this starting lineup at the expense of uh, Lou Dort. I do. And, and a lot of Thunder Twitter is very high on him. That was honestly a conversation Thunder Twitter has already had. After okay. two summer league games, they were saying, should the Thunder start Jalen Williams over Lou Dort? And if he can translate the defense he played at summer league, that's a big if. But if he can translate that defense he plays in summer league, where he's very switchable and does a really good job of guarding on ball, then that offense is so much more improved over what Lou Dort can provide you offensively. Yeah. That that's a strong argument to to at least start Jalen Williams whenever you're not facing a a top ISO score. You know, maybe you maybe you then use that spot instead of having it locked in as you mentioned before the four locks of the of the lineup. Maybe you only have three locks of your lineup, and Williams and Dort are fluid depending on the matchup and depending on. Uh, the style of the other team, uh, but I think it's I think it's a strong possibility that, that at some point in the life of this Ludort contract, that Jalen Williams knocks down the door and, is, and becomes a starter on this team. Do you think out of that bench group we've got there, Man Williams, Wiggins, the other uh, Kenrich Williams, and she's a lot of Williams on this team, and uh, and Robinson Earl, um, that Jalen Williams gets the most minutes out of that group. I, I do because I think that he just fits more positions than almost anyone else in this group, like. Jeremiah Robertson can really just play the four and the five, and it's tough defensively once you start to switch him. Aaron Wiggins can play, you know, the the two, three, four, uh, but you don't really want him playing four. I mean, they did it last year out of necessity, but Wiggins is really just a two, three. With with, with Jalen Williams, I think that you can play him pretty much anywhere. If he, if something happened to Trey Mann and he needed to be the backup point guard, he could do that. If he needed to play two, three, four, he could do that. Uh, and so I think that he's just so much more versatile and has so many more tools. Like. He can cut, he can drive, he can create for himself, create for others. He can score at all three levels. He, he can do so much more that there's just so many more combinations you can use him in and, and have him thrive in. Because you don't want to put these guys in a spot that they can't handle or a spot in which they can't succeed. So you don't want to shoehorn Trey Mann minutes by putting him at small forward because it's just not going to work. So like the pathway to minutes for Jalen Williams is just so much clearer because of that versatility. So I think that at the end of the day, he might find himself with the most minutes of this group. Yeah, I, I think that's... That's exactly how I have it projected at the moment, and I think that is what is going to happen. Look at some more of these young guys. There's just so many of these young players. We've talked about quite a few of them already, but let's talk about Josh Giddy, who some fantasy sites have bumped up really high. It's expecting a big leap from him this season. 
I think the obvious thing Ryland is shooting, and we've talked to Chip England already. That's going to be key for him. We've, we, there's so many highlights of Josh Giddy coming out of summer league games and pickup runs and all this stuff where he's just banging down pull up threes left, right, and center. You go, okay, that's real. Not so much in summer league because the percentages were still horrible there. Like, what's the big step that Josh can take this season? Like, it just, it has to be the shooting. I don't I don't know what else it is that that elevates him from what he did as a rookie. Yeah, it's going to be shooting for him and. This is why you hire Chip England, and I know it does not work for everybody, and I know he already has his staple calling card of Kawhi, but if you can turn Josh Giddy into an even slightly above average three-point shooter, that opens up so much about his game and, and revolutionizes how we see him as a player. And so that is where Chip's going to have to thrive if, and, and can really make a name for himself. This can be a Kawhi 1B in the sense of his resume. Now, of course, Giddy's not going to be a Kawhi player, but his resume, Chip England's, starts and stops with Kawhi Leonard. Of course, he has other ones like DeJounte Murray and Kellen Johnson and uh, Tony Parker. But like, if you can do this for Giddy, then that really submits you as one of the best shooting coaches that this league sees. And hopefully that happens. But yeah, it's shooting. And for me, rim finishing. Uh, there were some areas uh, of rim finishing, depending on where you look, you know, basketball index, whatever, uh, that he really thrived in. But if he can if he can become a better rim finisher and you've got the diversity of uh, Shea's drives plus Giddy's drives in the drive and kick area, uh, that would really help this offense thrive as well. And I think that the uh, expected bump for him is fair, just given the nature of not just going from year one to year two, but the roster around him. He had so many potential assists last year where he created an open look for somebody that they just weren't expecting and they just weren't capable of shooting threes. And it just fell flat. I think that they have more shooters this year and more scores this year that can really help him improve his raw numbers to where that, of course, translates to fantasy basketball. Yeah, I think he's going to be improved. I don't know if he's going to be as improved as some. I think he's quite a divisive prospect. Look, he might already be at the very worst, a top 10 passer in the NBA, if not you know, closing in on top five. like He's that good, and he's a really good rebounder, but defensively, there can be issues in the shooting, and that is an issue. But he's not someone who had extraordinarily low usage. I think he was at 20%, which is bang on average. So he's not like a guy that's just completely shying away from taking shots. And if you can get that shooting up and, and bump that usage a little bit, there's just a ton of value in what Josh Giddy is able to do. This is the question, Ryan, that everyone has been waiting for. We saved it until now. Are the Oklahoma City Thunder tanking? Because they have been outrageously brazen in April, the last two weeks of the season, because people are, mate, they tank every time, five years, they're never playing anybody, which is a load of shit. Like, it's just not true. But when they get down to April for those last two weeks of the season, and as I tell everyone in fantasy, finish your season, please, on like the 20th of March. That is when you finish. But when we get into that last two weeks... Everyone sits, and we're getting 48 minutes of George Kalitsakis, and yeah, we're going to get players who are playing 50 well, yeah, minutes. They don't even on this team. Is that the plan this year? Are they going to be hyper-cautious? Are they going to be sitting guys to get themselves back in, or not back in, but at the top of the Victor Wembanyama sweepstakes? Or do they look at this and go, we've got Chet, we've got Shea, we've got Giddy, we've got Dort, we've got Jalen Williams. These guys are solid enough. Like, Should we push, or have we got one more year of you know, April shenanigans? I'm glad that you printed it that way because it's 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 very fair. Obviously, they have been egregiously tanking in April, but this team also played in the game seven two years ago to yeah. the day of, of playing Houston. So um, I think that this is the only year in which this statement's been true. Now, the, now the team always has to say this. Sam Presti always has to say this, but they're going to let the season play out. I don't think that there's a plan heading into it in the sense of win-loss record or, or if they should tank or not. What I think that they're going to do is just let Mark coach the team with all of its players for the majority of the season, at least until 
you know, around April, around around uh, the later parts. And if they are like the Cavs were last year, we're sure they were a playing team. And you might look back on that and say, whoopee do they were a playoff team. But they were a really strong, like top four, top five seed in the East. And then injuries happened and knocked them down. But the basis of their team was good enough to be like top four, top five of the East until those injuries happened. And so their front office rewarded them with, hey, keep playing this season, get to the plan and, and you know, just take the plan. If that's the case, I think that the Thunder played out and they just take that play in and they run with it and they run with that good feeling. But if they're flirting with the 10th seed and that's all they can do is, you know, 9-10 in April, what's more beneficial for your organization to claw and scratch for those plus two games to get to the 10th seed or go 0-7 or 0-10 like the Pacers ended last year and get closer to the ability to get Victor Mbignana. Obviously, the thing that's going to more, more impact you long-term is getting as best chances as you can to get a generational star in this loaded draft class. So if it's a Cavs-like season, I think that they for sure let it ride. But if they are only two games out of the 10th seed, it'll catch people off guard. Oh, you're right there. You're almost for the playoffs. But the value in catching those two games to get to the 10th versus dropping off a map in the last three weeks of the season and getting closer to a generational star, the math on that just works out to where you have to do it. You have to go try to get that generational star because if you're the Thunder, it's the only way you can get one. You, you can't go sign one. And if you and if you trade for one, you're giving up some of these young pieces that make your foundation so good or even good enough to even be in the position to get into that playing tournament. So it just depends on how they look. But I think if I had to bet money right now, the West is so tough that – they might be, you know, two, three, four games out of the playoffs, and then they start to tank because it's just not worth it at that point. You'd rather gain ground on Houston than gain ground on the Lakers at 10. Oh, oh wow. Just a drive-by on the Lakers there. Fantastic. Um, but, yeah, look, I think what people also need, like, I don't know what's going to be when we look back in five years, people exaggerating how long the Sixers tanked for or exaggerating how long the Thunder tanked for because already it's outrageous. Like, as you said, they were in the playoffs in a game seven two years ago. It's been two seasons of you know, trying to rebuild this team. People act like they've been doing it for 10 years and the Thunder fans are burning down the, the stadium because, yeah, they've just never seen anything successful, which is just, again, it's a gigantic load of shit and people need to look at that. And again, last season, if you finish your playoffs when uh, Fantasy Plus, when I suggested it on March the 20th, the number... Th- three overall player in the fantasy playoffs was Shea Gildas-Alexander. So that, like, oh, you can't possibly draft any Thunder guys because they're never going to be there for your fantasy playoffs is also a load of shit. I'm not saying that we have to have full trust in it, but they're not doing it like, you know, the Al Horford thing a couple of years ago was a different situation. They're not just saying, well, we hit, we hit 1st of February and everyone just stopped playing. Like, that's just not what they're doing. Shea got hurt and actually came back and played like four weeks until the ankle, you know, flared up again. And maybe there was a little bit of manipulation with that, but... It didn't just end when he sprained his ankles. I think we really need to focus that, yeah, or look at the actual numbers rather than the feeling or the narrative around how egregious everything has been because it's definitely getting overstated. Talked about Chet. He's probably going to be the starting center. Do you think they look for another center? Um, Yeah, they obviously waived Isaiah Roby, which I thought was a weird decision. I thought he'd shown enough to stick around ahead of some of the other guys on this team. Do you think they look at getting someone else in or they're just going to go, we've got Chet. We're going to go small. We're going to maybe we have favors around. We've got Mascala. This is sort of where we sit with the roster. I really think that this is the roster, and that they're not going to bring anyone else in this season. And I also think that long term, they they envision Chet Holmgren being the center. I know that sounds really weird to a lot of people. They think that this can work. They think that Chet Holmgren should be their center once this thing is totally done and you're trying to get back and you're trying to get back in contention and win finals and and win championships. They think that Chet Holmgren can be the man in the middle. Now, are they right on that? Can he really be the man in the middle? Who knows? But 
that's the plan as of today for Chet Holmgren. And so I think that they're going to start that this year and just see how to navigate his development after one season and, and where to where to adjust him, where to fix him and, and all that kind of stuff. So I think that he's the center for the Thunder. And you're absolutely right. This is, I mean, last year, the game notes that the team sent to the media included them being a top 10 team win percentage since they came into the league, which included, of course, the record for that year and the year previously. So like they are, they are one of the most winning franchises since they moved to Oklahoma city in 2008. And the Thunder fans have had a lot of success and they've had two years of tanking whenever they all are on board with the messaging. So I'm here for, I think that the Thunder have a bright future and it's because of the things they're doing right now with tanking these last few games. Would you rather have 10 games of, of Jalen Horde or not and get nine years out of Chet Holmgren, or would you rather have 10 more games of Isaiah Roby and you only get out of it, you know, a play in appearance where you get trounced in the, as the 10th seed or even worse, you get a mid middling lottery pick. Uh, and that's all you have to show for your season. I think that the option is pretty clear for OKC who can't pivot and, and get talent anyway else. Yeah, I, I, I think it is as well. It also just gives you a a plethora of trivia questions for the, the future as well when you're talking about yeah, past Thunder legends like Gabriel Deck and Georgios Kalitsakis. Like, yeah, having these funny names you can bring up in five years' time when hopefully you're pushing for the playoffs is a, is a bonus as well. Um, Lou Dort, last season he w- was second on this team in usage, which to me is not a situation that you want when you're trying to become a good team. I don't think that's what Dort's role is going to be. Um, I don't think he should be taking as many shots as he is. He's got some improvement there. I thought also last season he dropped off a little bit defensively with more focus offensively. With the expected step of Josh Giddy, with the arrival of Chet Holmgren, with Jalen Williams there, do you think we see Dort moving a little bit back in the offensive pecking order and more becoming back into that 3 and D guy, which I think... That's what the Thunder envisage in him. Now, I hated that contract when it first came out. Some of the protections and non-guarantees make it a little bit more palatable now. But do you think that they push him back more to that 3 and D role rather than can you be the number two guy on 25 usage, which I don't think is going to work? I absolutely do. I, I think that his his box score this year, when, when you go and look at his basketball reference page after the season's over, you're going to think that he made this huge improvement and that he he did so many great things to, to overhaul his offense. And mm. you're probably even going to give a lot of credit to uh, Chip England when in reality, all that's going to change is his role because he's shooting great in the corners the last two years, 46% uh, last year, 44% uh, this past season. He, he's shooting great in the corners. And I think that that's the threes he's going to be taking this year, our corner threes. None of this above the break stuff that he's been used to over this last season. I think that last year, it came down to just trial and error. The Thunder didn't really care about the record. They cared about exploring their roster. And he's a guy who's played point guard before in his college days. Let's see what he can do with the ball in his hands offensively in the NBA. It didn't work out. He, he, he couldn't really dribble uh, as needed in the NBA. He couldn't play make as needed in the NBA. And so they tried it last year. It didn't work, and they move on. They've done this before uh, to a lesser extent, of course. They did it with Terrence Ferguson. They brought him back to Summer League a second year and made him a point guard. That failed miserably, and they never tried it again. And the same thing with Lou Dort. I think that they tried to increase his offensive use just to see what would happen and of course it did not work out to the extent you'd want it to but yeah i mean uh, he's going to be shooting only corner threes this year for the most part uh, he I, I guarantee he's not going to take 300 non-corner threes this season if he does uh th- that would be a mistake by the thunder and thus it'll raise his three-point percentage from 33 to like what would you say 35 36 37 and it, it'll be this huge improvement on paper but in reality you're just cutting out bad shots for him and so i think that that's what the thunder are going to look for and as you mentioned when you use less energy to be handling the ball and passing defense then rises again so i think that that will just help lou door all the way around yeah exactly what i think who's a breakout candidate on this team 
a breakout candidate team, I think, is Poku because I do think that he can make a bigger leap from your uh, two to three than your one to two. And if, if he does anything on the floor in a positive way, I think that people are going to freak out about it. And then I'll throw my guy Baisley in there because we saw him play elite level defense last year guarding one through five. And maybe Chip can work some magic. But as you mentioned, it, it's going to be hard to work magic on everybody, much less do it in just one training camp cycle for that guy. Uh, I think that Jalen Williams can break out as a rookie in the sense of on the national stage, there's people understanding who he is. But the end-all, be-all pick for me is going to be Trey Mann. I think that he's just a microwave score that, of course, lit it up for three 30-point games last year in a 29-point outing as well, including a 30-ball against the Boston Celtics at home. That was awesome. But I think that his scoring ability will really translate to highlights and will really translate to uh, just showing the value he is off the bench uh, as, a, as a guy who can keep the offense in rhythm whenever Shea goes to the bench. So I think that Trey Mann can really break out in year two. I'm not really big on Trey, man. I, I, I just don't know that that sort of a player, inefficient, undersized, poor defense, not a great passing player, has the biggest upside, but he does have a role, and that scoring punch can be useful. I'm just not as big on him, but that's fine. We're here to, to, to agree and to disagree and to talk through this stuff. What about on the other side of things, Ryland? A regression candidate, who might drop off from their numbers last season? Yeah, I think in terms of regression, um, it's tough to pick one out because it's not as though anyone had a great season last year that you just... Uh, think is an abnormality. If Isaiah Roby was still on this roster, I would probably say him. Uh, but from last year, uh, I, I think that on the progression note, I think that Shea's three-pointer will go up just by him yep. not taking many step backs and stuff like that. But I think that as a regression, you, you could see a role where uh, a guy like Jeremiah Robinson Earl that really kind of stole the hearts of Thunder fans, maybe he struggles to, to find his rhythm in year two. But for me, I, I think that with Jerry, it comes down to the three-point shot. The stroke looks good. The process of him when he shoots it looks good. Just sometimes they don't go in. And so he could run into a spell where the shots just aren't falling. And that makes him look worse than, than what's actually happening on the floor. But it, everything about Jerry's game is him making smart decisions and him doing the right thing. The process is there for Jerry. It's just can he overcome the lack of size down low defensively? And can he get those shots to fall that, that whenever they generate open threes for him? I like that you call him Jerry. I'm going to go with that. That's 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 a great name. Um, is this team better than last season? I think they're much better than last season. I think that uh, you're going to see this team be heavily improved. And the benefit for this team is that they have another year under their belt together for the majority of them. And there's no pressure on them to win or lose a certain amount of games. Like I feel like the Kings, like there's so much pressure just to get to the play in that it's going to be tough for those young players to maybe grow together at the start of the season. Uh, but the Thunder are just living with house money. If they struggle win loss record wise, well, that's okay because this season's about figuring out if Shea and Giddy can play together. This season's about figuring out uh, Poku's role long term or how Jalen Williams fits in the NBA. Or there's so many um, other things you're looking for than win losses that you can truly roll the ball out there and go play. And I think that that's what allows them to have the most 15 point comebacks last year in the NBA. That's what allows them to play so so free and so kind of in unison last year, for lack of a better term, in the second half of games and make the adjustments needed because there's not any pressure on them. Yeah, I, I just in adding Chet Holmgren is just a massive boost to this team. Um, who's the most likely player to be traded? It's tough to, to mention the trade aspect of it because I don't think that Favors holds value on the trade market. Mm -hmm. uh, if he did, I think that they'd already kind of move him on, move on from him, obviously. Um, Baisley... I think that I'd say Baisley because Sam Presti doesn't let these guys hit 
restricted free agency very often at all. And you saw it with Hamdou Diallo. Hamdou Diallo had a fantastic start to his last year on his contract uh, in which he was dropping, you know, 20 plus point per game nights uh, in, in a week where he played in New York and Brooklyn and he was in his hometown and stuff. He was, he was playing awesome and, and he was in line to have the best year of his career in every statistical, statistical category on the planet. And yet they traded him for Shuma Kai Luke and a second round pick. Like, I think that you can see that kind of move for Darius basically where if his offense is just not leaping off the page at you and all he is, is still a really good defender. Well, then you can see him get moved for someone else's, uh, you know, a version of Sue Luke and a second round pick or something like that. So I think that if I had to bet who gets traded, it'll be um, Darius Baisley. Now, if you extend this to the off season, I would not be so uh, certain that we won't see uh, Kenny Hustle and Lou Dort's contract combine for a nice uh, contract matching ability for a trade with all these first round picks and, and for an all in guy, whoever the disgruntled star becomes. But I don't think we see that in season for the Thunder. I think that it'll be more so an off season type of move, but in season, I would not be shocked to see Baisley move if they don't work on extension with him, which it does not sound like they're going to before training camp. So I think that by the deadline, he probably gets moved for a guy like Shumakai Luke in a second round pick. You referenced basketball index earlier. Now what I do in all these shows, I've got a little quiz to end things out with some of their metrics and their talent grades. So there's the three point shooting talent, the playmaking talent and the finishing talent, which you may know or you may not know that these things, it's not just about your three-point percentage. It's not just about the number of assists. It's not just about your field goal percentage at the rim. It's about the difficulty of the shots. You know, with the three-point, are they self-created? Are they pull-ups? Are they open corner threes? Are they closely guarded? Is the playmaking, you know, where's the potential assist? Where are you assisting players? How much self-creation and you know, attention are you drawing? And finishing, it's like getting to the rim and driving and finishing through contact. All that stuff pushes in to try and say who's the best at these things rather than just one outlier statistic that doesn't take into account context. Now, you've been playing around a basketball index, obviously, because you referenced something earlier, so you might know the answers to these. But let's see. Who graded out with the best three-point shooting talent on this team last season? That is going to be an interesting one. I, I do know your second one, I believe, because I think I tweeted it out like okay. two days ago. But your first one for shooting talent, uh, I feel like, I mean, I want to say it's just Mike Muscala, but... I don't know if that'll be the correct answer or not because he's obviously a really good three-point shooter, but I don't know if they factor in sample size or anything like that. So I'm going to say Mike Muscala. It wasn't Mike Muscala. It was, and this surprised me. It was Trey Mann who graded out. I guess the difficulty of the shots that he's taking, the self-creation of those shots, because um, I, I don't believe he shot a particularly great percentage. I'm just going to double-check that. You might know that off the top of your head. Oh, 36%. But the self-creation aspect of that um, pushed him up to be the best three-point shooter. Because obviously, it wasn't Shea because he shot like thirty percent from three. All right, so you reckon you know the playmaking one? Who is it? Yeah, on the shooting one, I think that you're right. On the difficulty shot, Trey Mann does take those step backs, and he also did a really good job last year of spacing the floor and, and taking three steps off the line, whereas defenders not even close to him. And then Shea or Giddy kicks over to him, and he nails it from that far out. So maybe that's what's helping him boost there. Playmaking, I saw on Basketball Reference, I mean, Basketball Index, that Josh Giddy ranked in the 98th percentile of the NBA for playmaking. So I think that he's obviously going to be the leader for the Thunder. It is quite obviously Josh Giddy. Yes, he is, as I referenced it earlier, like he is like probably a top 10 passer, if not higher than that already in the NBA because he's doing difficult passes, cross-court passes, opening things up for everybody. You can't give him any sort of sliver of space. He's going to you know, cut and, and, and dice a defense up really with his passing ability. And if the shot does start to come along, that's just going to make that all the more more um, important or all the more, more dangerous for other teams. What about finishing? 
Who do you think graded out as the highest finisher? I don't think this one's all that difficult either. Yeah, if 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 I get this one wrong, I might need to talk to Nick about moving teams, but it's Shea Alexander, I believe. It is. I think maybe, I don't know if it was last year or the year before, I think he graded out as the best finisher in the entire NBA. His ability, I think he leads the NBA in drives over the last two seasons as well. Like, he's an unbelievable finisher. He's an unbelievable driver. And he's just, it's irrepressible, him getting to the rim. One last question. Basketball Index has a metric of playing on ball. Actually, their metric is playing off ball. What percentage of your time are you off ball? And I wanted to convert that because I get frustrated where fantasy sides or other sides list Josh Giddy as a small forward. Okay, he's not a small forward. He's like a, he's a point guard. He handles the ball a ton. Like it's it's him and Shea who are the two ball handlers on this team. Josh Giddy is not just a stand in the corner wing player. Like okay, but when I looked at this metric and see which one of these players was. Based based on however they, they use this metric, which player between Shea Gutis Alexander and Josh Giddy played the largest percentage of their minutes on ball? I think it's Shea, but I would not be shocked for it to be Giddy because I think that, of course, when you factor in how oftentimes Giddy has the ball for a quick second with a dribble in just to get the ball right back out to Shea for a quick score. Uh, but I, I'll say it's Shea uh, for the last season. It was Shea. He was on ball 42.5%. Giddy was 28.8%. And there was no one remotely close. They just did basically all the ball handling on this team. But Shea was the guy that was on ball more than uh, Josh Giddy and the highest on this team. And Ryland, that is it. We are done with an Oklahoma City Thunder preview. Tell people what's happening over at Locked on Thunder at the moment. Yeah, we're going to be getting that schedule rollout this week, talking all about the best games to watch for, matchups for Chet Holmgren and Josh Giddy. You're going to want to check out as well. And it's time to preview the season already. So the training camp starts in less than a month. So we're going to be excited for that as well. So you can find it over at Lockdown Thunder, anywhere you get your podcast from, and follow me on Twitter at Ryland underscore Styles. Go and check out Locked On Thunder. Go and check out Rylan on social media and you'll get way more information on the Thunder that we could squeeze in here. Thanks again, Rylan, for coming on Locked On Fantasy Basketball with me. Thanks for having me, Josh. Always a pleasure. Love the pregame shows every uh, afternoon. And that'll do it for me today. Don't forget to follow this podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on the Odyssey app. If you are here on YouTube, you know what to do. Thumb it up and leave your comments down below. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.